Hello and welcome to the podcast Lotus Eaters for Monday. I'm very sorry to tell you. Anyway, I'm joined by Stelios and Harry. Hello. Sorry about oh. the Monday, not you guys, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just, <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry that we're here right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry we're not all in bed right now. Not together, just like just having a lie-in. Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm just clarifying to make sure people don't misinterpret my words. All right, don't do it. <laughs> oh, all right God. anyway already off to a great start today we're going to be talking about the oikophobia of verifacus uh, our number one concern which is uh, a whole different thing and uh the left don't know things which i think will be fun if it, it, it should be fun but also you're both going to be slightly tortured by it so i apologize in advance so i suppose we we shall begin with uh verifacus Okay, so basically, uh, Varoufakis is touring the UK to promote uh, his new book that talks about how things work in his mind. I don't think that the reality works this way. Now, uh, many people in the UK, they thought that uh, Yanis Varoufakis was basically their ally, their political ally, because of his criticisms of the EU. But it is not the case, especially in politics, that the enemy of your enemy is always your friend. Sometimes the enemy of your enemy can also an enemy. Now, um, I want to talk about several fallacies that people make. One is this one, to think that just because someone criticizes something you criticize, that they're on board with what you want to do. And the other bit is the lack of comparative judgment that many people display when they're talking about things. So for instance, the fact that someone can have some, you could say, valid criticisms of an institution doesn't mean that they have solutions to offer. So the pe person who detects problems isn't always the person who is uh, uniquely equipped to solve them. You can say that the ceiling needs repairing without knowing how to repair it. So what were Varoufakis' criticisms of the EU? There, there were many, and uh, this is a big uh, issue now. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it right now because I'm going to focus on something else. But what I want to show is that just because someone says that an institution is imperfect, doesn't mean that they have something positive to offer. Uh, every, I have said all the, all the time here that politics is a comparative affair. All political systems and all policies are imperfect. That doesn't mean that the pointing out the imperfections of a particular institution or policy means you have a better alternative. Yep, that so is why the best question whenever people are saying stuff is, what is your alternative? There you go. So just for an, for an analogy before we go further. So say you've got a border wall, which will be relevant to this, and it's crumbling. You get two people show up, one show, and they both show up and they go, this wall is crumbling, that's bad. One guy says, well, let's build it back stronger. The other person says, let's blow it up. Yes, exactly. So you can have people saying that, for instance, the people who are responsible for protecting the borders of a country are not doing their job. And you can have two completely different interpretations of that statement. Now, uh, let us watch uh, the short clip. It's about a minute and a half, and we won't have another video by Varoufakis' interview on Unheard, on Freddy Sayers. I think borders are a sign of failure of the human species. It's very relevant right now because the UK is currently having a, a, a lot of debate about immigration. You shouldn't be having this debate. It is a misanthropic, stupid debate, and you have a minister who should have been expelled from this country for having these ideas. She, I mean, she even challenged the U United Nations Charter on Refugees. I mean, this is this is this is. A, she suggested it might have been a an outdated, idiot. an outdated uh, legal mechanism to she resolve is a that dangerous problem. and dangerous, poor excuse of human nature. But That's the people who the people who are very anxious, ashamed of her. 
But the people who are anxious about this issue are, are the people you are trying to look after. Sure. There are people who my are, job is not well, it's no, not to pander to anxieties that um, are absolutely false consciousness examples. Look, Freddie, we Europeans exported hordes, hordes of people. We emigrated to the four corners of the universe, of the universe, of the planet. Huh? We populated the earth from Latin America to North America, to Asia to Africa, millions, usually armed as well, right, <laughs> as imperialists. We had no qualms about that for a thousand years. All that has happened is that we're getting old. Demographically, we are aging. So, you know, migratory flows have reversed. We need migrants. The more, the merrier. The age of imperialism was purely migratory flows. Th th this man, um, before you get into your analysis, is completely insane. Uh, and I, I say that without any hesitation. This man has lost his marbles. He is out of his mind. For one, I just want to be clear, his own criteria seems to be completely backwards and contradictory because the insinuation that it's a failure of human nature to need borders is that, that well, it's only because of backwards pre, um, presuppositions and superstitions that we think that people need to be separate in the first place because the idea that people are different, have different cultural standards that some can't comply with one another is wrong. But then in the same breath, he says that we need to kick out Suella Braverman. <laughs> because of her beliefs, which insinuates, it, it seems to imply that if you live in a nation state and there are people living within that nation state that do not conform to the standards, cultural, behavioral, or otherwise that you set, that you have a right to deport them. He's, this man <laughs> is a bottom feeder. So I have several talking points here to raise, and I really want your opinions on this. First, number one, he says, Borders are a sign of failure of the human species. Any more garden variety utopia, utopianism? Well, in that case, uh, having walls in your house is a sign of failure of the human, human species because why can't everybody just get along and have no houses at all and just live in a big open field where you share things together? Well, let us talk first with an analogy. Okay, let us talk about the police. You can definitely say that the police is a sign of human failure. Now, that doesn't mean what Varoufakis thinks it does. And in the same way, this happens with the borders. Let me explain. Now, you could say that we have the police and we want good policing because there are human beings that have the propensity to not care about the social order and not care about other human beings. So in a sense, you could say that the police and the attempt and the call for enforcing law and order, they are a sign of of a failure of the human species, but they are a response to it. Now, in the same way, the same applies to the border. It's, it protects you against external enemies in the way that the police uh, is supposed to protect you from internal enemies. Well, that's the point. I mean, failure of who exactly is doing a lot of lifting there? Yeah. Because, of course, you have the police because the failing is on the, well, criminals trying to kill me. So... They're the failures, so we need a police force to keep them. From exactly, and this. But is... then, when it comes to the border, the failure is on those who don't want to be killed. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I I kind of don't really take him seriously because this was such an insane thing to say. Uh, uh, it is insane, but the point point is that and, he's and saying the quiet in, part out loud. And this man was in a prominent and important position within Greek. We'll politics. get there. We'll get there. 
let me just say the other bit, though, is that uh, this is just dangerous utopianism because you can dream all you like about a world without violence, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But that cannot be a practical guide for action in a world where violence exists, okay? This is basic 101 political theory. Yes, okay? you're right. We do not live in a utopia. And it was, I think, Machiavelli who said, I don't know if I get the phrase correctly, that he who thinks more of how the world should be than how the world is only paves the word, world the road to his own destruction. Yes, because like you say, it's a difference of interpretation of what the ultimate solution is going to be. You can say that it's a failure of human nature that we can't all just have a hippie circle where we all hold hands around the world and get along with one another. I see that as a fact of reality. It's a completely neutral thing to me that people can't all get along with each other all of the time. He sees that as some kind of failure because he's coming from a utopian yeah, mindset. My, my solution to that is that borders are the solution. His solution because he sees it as a failure, is that we need to socially engineer people into being the correct communist man. Let's, let's be honest. It's, it's the idea that we can just socially engineer people into all being the same, into all getting along with each other, which is one of the most radical and ultimately ends up, as history has shown us again and again, genocidal mindsets that people can ever get themselves into. Hang on. At no point can I grant that this man has a utopian mindset because he explicitly points out that it's not because, oh, I just don't know what violence is. He says that we deserve it. We oh, deserve true. the violence that comes our way by arguing that, well, we migrated around the world, so why shouldn't they migrate here? Knowing full well what the consequences are. He's not a utopian that's like, I don't know what violence is. It's way worse than that. He is literally telling us, you deserve what's going to happen to you because of the past. Uh, th that's this is, this is, I think, accurate. I was... Uh... I meant what I meant before was that he's using and he's switching from utopian, utopian to non-utopian rhetoric. I understand. Yeah. Also, so second to he's using the classic point of demographic aging yeah. as as a excuse for it, which is always the worst <laughs> reason that I've ever heard. Your granddad old? Well, you deserve to die. Yeah, Japan also has an aging demographic population, and they're always trying to use that as an excuse why Japan needs to open its borders and accept more migrants. They're not going to, or at least they shouldn't, because Japan has one of the most peaceful societies that still exists in the world right now. Opening your borders, as opposed to, say, pro-natalist policies in your country, is the exact backwards way of, do of doing things and shows that you hold your native population in malice and contempt. Uh, second talking point, he says that you shouldn't be having this debate. It is a stupid, misanthropic debate. Now, apparently, if you are concerned about your country, your institutions, and your way of life, you're a misanthrope. That's what Varoufakis says. And I, the reason I'm talking a, a, a lot about it today is because I think he's saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, well, once, I mean, that whole idea is, okay, why, why can't I live in your house? Why are we having this debate? It's a stupid, misanthropic what? debate. Let me live in your house. Yeah. You've got food in your kitchen. That's my food now. Let me show you another interesting uh, inconsistency because I think also it's relevant here and it bears directly to the question of what goes on inside his mind or not because I, re I really don't know. But let me just say one thing. Throughout the 19th and the 20th century, people from the left have constantly said that Classical liberals and Western and Westerners in general ignore the role of the community. They ignore the role in which communities shape individuals and their behaviors. Take Marxism, for instance. 
classical Marxism. They constantly talk about how to explain what we have in our minds. And they say that in order to do so, you need to see how a particular person is related to the means of production and how that person is situated into the relations of production of a particular society. And that thing is generating other cultural stuff. So they have always focused on how communities shape individual behaviors. Now, apparently, they occupy the exact opposite position. All cultural influence is completely overcome by just simply ch changing location in physical space. It's a bit of the, the magic soil argument that if you have lots of third world Africans just arriving in Greece, just by getting onto that magic soil will automatically make them culturally the same as Greek people well, and any other European people, and therefore just as valuable economically, because that's what this always comes down to is the economic argument. I want to be very specific here because I don't want to be misinterpreted. What I think people like Varoufakis are doing, which is wrong, is viewing this entirely in the abstract. They're not looking at concrete questions, such as the question of cultural continuities and discontinuities between the people who want to migrate somewhere and the people who host them. This is a major question. Now, I don't know about the individual specific case, but this is a major question that people like Varoufakis, who use completely abstract rec rhetoric, completely bypass. Now, um, let me just uh, show the next thing. Uh, very I, I, so. I just want to, to say as well, on, on Callum's point, I think, like Callum says, it's not entirely abstract. There is a, a concrete motivation behind this, seemingly, which is we did bad things to them, so therefore the descendants of people who may or may not have done bad things to other people at some point in time, maybe, who have nothing to do with that now, deserve it. They deserve some kind of retribution to be festooned upon them. I think it is a gestalt switch. You see, the go, he goes from one you know, uh, appeal to utopia then to appeal to more concrete considerations. It's just a deliberate message designed to appeal Whatever to as many migrants. people in the left. So just uh, let, let us have a sober reminder by Victor Davis Hanson. He says, a common denominator that explains why previously successful societies implode is their descent into fantasies. A collective denial prevents even discussion of existential threats and their solutions. Something like this is happening in the United States. And I would say it's not just the United States, States it's the UK, it's, it's Europe in general. And other, you could say, Western-style countries. Now, um, let, it, let us go to the third talking point. It's that Suela Braverman should have been expelled from the EU, from the, from the UK. Um, There's not much really to say there, is it? Yeah. I, I shouldn't exist, so deport anybody who disagrees with me. Yeah, I, I've already pointed out at the beginning of this the inconsistency with the rest of his logic with that, this idea that everybody is the same, yeah. so everybody should be allowed everywhere, but anybody who disagrees, therefore showing a difference, should yes. leave. Exactly, but there, there is a further element that shows the hypocrisy of the woke people, that they constantly plead that they are in favor of some values, but they only want these values for their supporters. So he wants open borders, generally speaking, but when it comes to someone who is disagreeing with his agenda, that person should be expelled. Now, there is nothing 
much to say here. All I think that... Nothing particularly unusual with that. It's rights for me and my friends, no rights for my enemies. Exactly. And literally, I think that progressivists like Varoufakis, they literally believe in nothing. It is all about dividing and conquering. That's exactly it. They have the the supporters. They are going to conjure up any kind of rhetoric in order to appeal to these supporters. And they're go- they, they don't care at all about double standards. And let me just uh, tell you one major double standard. Does he seem here on the interview like a guy who is interested in national sentiment or, or not? No, he seems like a crazy person. He seems like a drug-addled hobo that they've yeah. dressed up in a suit and put on camera. Do you know what, what the slogan of his party was when he was elected and he... Uh, took the position of finance minister. I don't know, blood and soil? It was nationally proud negotiation. So when it was the time to negotiate with the EU, about, uh, uh, when we were having the, within quotation marks, Grexit discussions, he flew under the banner of nationally proud negotiation. And he actually used it himself. So either he was lying back then or has had some kind of full brain lobotomy in between that's completely changed. Uh, He's hit his head on a frying pan and And, has completely changed his brain chemistry. And here is the fourth uh, talking point that I want to raise here. It's the issue of, you could say, Western imperialism, because it seems to me that what he was talking about before is the epitome of what we have been saying here as ecophobia, which is the hatred of one's culture. Because essentially what he's doing is that he is saying that Western cultures have a unique guilt for which they have to atone for, uh, for which they have to atone themselves, and the all, and any person who is a Westerner, on the other hand, he talks as a European. You see, he said, he meant we as Europeans. Um, every any person who is a Westerner should atone for the Western guilt. Now, this is uh, let, let me just say, uh, show you this. If you want to see more about ecophobia, we've done some work here. You can visit our website, and for five pounds a month, you can um, subscribe to to our website and watch all our content. Uh, this is Western Anti-Westernism Symposium 15 on ecophobia. If you want to w- learn more about the concept, do give that a watch. Now, but I want us to focus on the other bit. He, you see how arbitrarily he. He read history. This is what people who are in favor of this mindset, who adopt the, the mindset of an ecophobe, uh, display in their behavior. It's a very selective reading of history and cherry picking. So, for instance, he talked about a thousand years ago. Why go just a thousand years ago? Why not go two thousand years ago? Why not go four or three thousand years ago? All this is Western anti-Westernism. It is a very Eurocentric view to use a very leftist term, Eurocentric view of all of the wrongs that have ever been committed to peoples in the world. This idea that European countries and Western nations are the only ones who have ever done anything bad to non-European, non-Western. This is why we end up with, as Callum always points out, the absolute ridiculousness of uh, drawing these divisions between the West and the global South, as you always go on about, which apparently doesn't also include Australia. Which is despite they're in the north. yeah they're they're in the north despite despite being in the southern hemisphere of the of the globe it, it's ridiculous it's a very arbitrary drawing because what all of this comes from at the end of the day is an incredibly 
anti-European and oftentimes anti-white perspective that people are bringing into this from uh, West, uh, from anti-decolonization uh, studies and those sorts of things. And as we found out over the weekend from people posting about it on Twitter, when they say, what do you think decolonization meant in regards to Israel? It turns out that all of that always means the Haitian die. Yeah, the, the Haitian revolution, essentially, where we just kill whitey. That's what it always de devolves into. This is important to raise because you never, never, ever hear people uh, pointing out Eastern-style imperialism. How, how about the Assyrians? How about the Babylonians? Do the Turks get about, the same treatment? How about the Persians? Yeah, the Armenian genocide yeah. never uh, gets a big shout these days, does it? How about the Ottomans? How about all other countries that have ever existed? What about the Arab slaves trades, the Arab conquests? Yeah. You never hear about that. It is uniquely anti-Western hatred. I wonder if I wonder if leftists know that the North Africa didn't always look like that. Of course they don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so basically the logical conclusion of this pernicious ideology is that Western people who care about their culture are uniquely bad and that they are trying to protect a rotten culture. Um, it is fun that the very frequently these people are using the rhetoric of human rights because that's a Western concept. It is created out of this tradition that they constantly lambast as being the worst thing that has ever happened on the, on the planet. I don't, uh, from my reading of history, maybe, you know, I haven't read everything, but it, the concept of human rights doesn't seem to me to have... Uh, to have been respected, let's say, particularly in uh, Eastern style. I, I can't think of any other nation or historical civilization that really had much comparable to it. Yeah. And this is, this is the same argument that you hear from the left where they say the English, the British, Europeans have no culture. It's because they are the fish swimming in water and they can't tell that it's there. The idea that you're having this conversation in the very first place and opening something up to a debate where you can come to a conclusion through words and an exchange of ideas rather than just murdering one another blindly is itself a very western concept so they just don't understand they they adhere to western behavioral standards they adhere to western conceptions of logic and being able to form arguments and they don't understand that this isn't just the natural human way of things. This is something very specific that came out of a particular culture. Exactly. And they also, I, I don't know if they think of it, I don't know what Varoufakis thinks, but a lot of the people he is talking to, a lot of the people who receive this message, they have this blind faith that these institutions are not fragile. And well, they that, take them for why, granted. That's why, in their mind, you can, well, once again, I don't know if it's because they abstractly believe in the utopianism or if it's because they concretely believe in revenge against their own people, as long as it doesn't affect them, similar to how in the UK we had the media class, you know, completely ignoring everything that was going on in places like Rotherham, yeah. purely because of the fact it wasn't affecting their children. So it's, it's, it's that difficulty of determining, do you actually believe this or is this something just horribly cynical that you know won't affect you until possibly it's too late? That's why they say, make it sound like you can just take an institution and fill it with literally anybody off the street and it'll just operate the same. Yeah. Now, and let, let me just show you what this uh, kind of uh, mindset uh, makes you say. So we have here someone called Chris uh, Brunette who, who asks Varoufakis, are you not concerned at all about Greek people being replaced by Africans and Asians? 
He says, not in the slightest. Greece has been a crossroads between Asia, Africa, and Europe since the Minoan era. These hordes who came and went only made us smarter, stronger, and more interesting. Now, so the Greeks don't exist. Well, what you can the Turks de- only made you smarter and more interesting. I don't know what you're talking about. I and mean, Kunli is the first reply that you can see there. It's just saying like, I'm sure you you're happy to say this is just that Greek nationalism is the result of Turkish o- occupation. Well, th- l- let me just say one thing. When you perceive common threat, uh, a threat, you start thinking of how to react against it. And this has always been the case with, with people who feel patriots, that you need to somehow protect your way of life and your people from threats. Makes sense. Fair? Okay. Now, another thing, he says, he, uh, someone uh, tells Varoufakis, uh, if Yanis Varoufakis believes what he's saying, he needs to start campaigning in Greece to remove all the physical borders between Greece and Turkey, then start welcoming every migrant that crosses the border into Greece. When he does this, he can then criticize Swallow Braverman. But let me just show you what he said, because this is essentially what he's campaigning. This is what he's campaigning. He says, I and Merakosipede, my party, have already done this. We campaigned in favor of ending all illegal pushbacks at sea and for bringing down the fence between Greece and Turkey and suffered a huge electoral defeat. It's called conviction politics. And we, and that's, not, that's not something he learns from then. Uh, so I campaigned on this insane idea of we eat crowns. No one voted for it. Well, he, he was a finance minister. He left at some point, and then he, was, uh, so, uh, he brought, in a way, the woke agenda into Greece. And he didn't, he didn't learn anything from the electoral defeat after that. Uh, no, but because uh, the, um, Varoufakis, if you see how he switches rhetoric, he seems to be like the kind of person who would talk about national sovereignty in order to get elected. But when when he disagrees with the people, the people are stupid. Yeah, he's a snake all the same. Yeah. So. Anyway, and another thing here, someone uh, tells him about in his actual views. Now he says, I'm not advocating upper borders in the sense of no borders. Uh, that would be great, but it is not for now. That's a distinction without a difference. I campaign for open but controlled borders with significant resources put into processing speedy asylum claims plus managing a legal, apt migration program. Okay, but on this rhetoric, if the end goal is open borders, what's, what's the point of any of this transitionary phase that he's talking about? Open but controlled borders. That's meaningless statement. What well... Is- as an open book controlled board. You have to ask what people uh, who embrace uh, this position think is a justified means to achieve their goal and what they cheer with. So this is uh, an interesting question. But again, you see this garden variety utopianism in this message here. My personal gut is that he understands really well what he's saying. He's playing the ecophobic uh, card by trying to sell this into an audience that he thinks is going to receive it well. You could say to a center-left audience. Of the crayon eaters, crayon munchers. And uh, he is saying other stuff to different audiences. Let's see. And let me just show this. Um, again, by Victor Davis Hanson. I think it's a sober voice of his. He says, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country, 
No, I mean, that's obvious, but unfortunately, we have to state the obvious every second. Uh, and one thing to end with, because it shows a lot of uh, the rhetoric behind many people from the left who have made a name out of, in this case, denying the Cambodian massacre for, for many Shriveled years. old man refused yeah. his entire career. Yeah. yeah. Chomsky has gone from manufacturing consent to fight disinformation. And I think this is one of the most accurate, most accurate tweets of all time by Brett Weinstein. He says, it is fascinating to watch someone repudiate their life's work. Well, it, it, it is fascinating if you presuppose that they actually believed in what they were saying. You're assume, yeah, you're assuming good faith. Whereas with the left, and this is going to sound unfair, but I think time and time and time again, it proves itself to be true. Assume bad faith. Always assume bad faith coming from a leftist, unless they are someone that has proven without a reasonable doubt that they are coming to you with good faith arguments. Because the left, as we can see from Noam Chomsky here, it is only manufacturing consent when that consent is being manufactured for something that I oppose. Same way that in the 1960s, all of the leftists were pro-free speech and anti-war because they were pro-free speech for communists and anti-war against communists. That's the only thing they've ever cared about, is their side versus our side. Yeah. And you see someone saying there, learn critical thinking to fight this information. Yeah. So critical thinking apparently became from... Um, it's believing everything the government tells you is true. Yeah, from denouncing everything that um, criticizes the USSR and communist movements and anarcho-syndicalist movements as Western propaganda to just you know, fight disinformation. And disinformation, what's disinformation? Whatever the government tells you it is. I do love the idea he's going to pen his little notes below. By the way, Kosovo was asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Cambodia, what's that? My playground. I'm, I'm pretty certain that Chomsky has made n numerous speeches defending what happened in Cambodia as well. I suppose we'll move on and uh, go to something else that's... Uh... Oh, this is going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> so, the number one concern we have in the West, I think all of the Western world can be unified around one thing, which is that the thing we most care about is literally not us, anything else. Apparently, literally anything else is now our obsession. It's, what, what it's sort the one of thing we can unify around. I mean, we just learned from Varoufakis that the West is evil and also kind of doesn't exist. So what's there to rally around? Unless we're talking about we Europeans and then, then we do exist again. Listen, why do I need <laughs> domestic nationalism when I can get foreign nationalism? Yeah. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about, I suppose I'll, uh, I'll start off just by skipping this one and going straight to, hey, there was a bit of like a war or something on the weekend. Did you notice? Israel-Palestine doing their thing. No, I overslept. What happened? Um, the, the same thing that happens every year over there. You know, every year there's, there's a new story, what's happening, and yep. it's the same thing. It's, it's that, again, this, it's just this year's version. So anyway, there's that. Um, horrific, not fun, but you know who wants to hear my opinions on the Israel-Palestine conflict? Not even me. I don't want to hear my opinions on the Israel-Palestine conflict. It's, it's just not something... I think I can provide any real light to because, yeah, I might try and inform myself, watch all the videos about the history and blah, 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 blah. But what way am I going to help if I sit here and talk about that? So I'm not going to. There are, there are some people who are going to apparently be better than me at that and talk about it tomorrow. But uh, the two of them read Hamas invades parts of Israel from Gaza, uh, attacks the military, and also a bunch of civilians, including an EDM festival, which was a weird thing to have on the border. Whatever. Not my world. So 
Instead, we're going to talk about the response from the Western world, which was to make this our number one concern all of a sudden. Just before I go on, I'm going to promote Lads Hour. So this is who would you want to spend 48 hours as. So if you want to go check that out. Um, I didn't have to stop that before we cancelled ourselves too hard. So do go and check that. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. I wasn't, I wasn't in that day, but I heard that things got a bit spicy. Carl, Carl doesn't know when to stop sometimes. Does... <laughs> Carl? <laughs> no. Yeah, anyway, it was, it was good fun. Anyway, but uh, otherwise, do and check that out. But we'll begin with um, the news. And, and the news was that, well, you know what the biggest thing that's relevant to Israel-Palestine is? Literally the entire West. We, we stand for one thing. Apparently, all of us are unified around, well, Palestine, it turns out. I didn't know this. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at this video that you're showing me, and I think those who descend from the West make up a small percentage of those we've got Look, on the screen. Just as British are you as I. <sighs> Sorry, I forgot. How could you say something like that? You know they're British because they're carrying foreign flags. <laughs> <laughs> so true these days. It's like the Palestine flags, Ukrainian flags, never the Union flag. Uh, it's just... Uh, look, you know they're British because they've got communist banners. Oh, no, no, they've just got full-on communist flags as you, well. You know they're British because they've got sides written in Arabic. What do you What do you want? I don't... Oh, of course, it's <laughs> in Manchester as well. So this is um, British people in Manchester who apparently have all risen up. Uh, it turns British out British protest. Turns out all of the north, not just Manchester, but from the. Uh, well, from, from, from the Irish Sea to the other sea, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, it looks Palestine will be free. All of the north of England's rising up to, to agree with that. I don't them. know. I see a lot of the global south here. Well, I don't, I don't see... Are the global south also invited to North FC? I don't see differences because I'm a blind man. Oh, okay. So I can't I tell. I want to go see Specsavers about that. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny when you hear people just sit there and be like, I don't see any differences. It's like... You probably should go check that, mate. Whatever. So the entire north, apparently, and apparently the entire south as well. So we can see here London. It turns out all of London, uh, so the entire south of England, the north of England, uh, every part of the UK, uh, it turns out all of them were rising up for Palestine. It's uh, amazing that... Um, well, I suppose it's because of all the deep historical ties we have to the land as, as the English people. It's uh, something we'll, we'll never forget. Well, like the Crusades. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, um, I would have thought they'd be carrying Crusader flags if they... They wanted to care about our deep past with Palestine, but it's not just us. It's and that man in that video <laughs> clip is literally clapping along and dancing in his car with his Palestinian flag. He is indeed. I do love here, though, you have uh, Dr. Charlotte over here celebrating the murderers and kidnapping of Israelis, quite possibly the most heinous act of public hate I've seen on the streets of London, she says, whilst walking, living and walking around in London, which is a bad move. Have, have we got the screenshots of some of her previous tweets on such matters? No, we don't, but she's uh, one of them, as, as I'm going to put it, because it's, it's endless, these kinds she's of people. She's adjacent. Yes. Um, should we check out just a good meme, though, which I saw, which is, you know, me sewing. Haha, yes, me reaping. What the hell? <laughs> How could this happen to me, says local person who thinks that mass migration is a great idea. And it wasn't just, um, the, the, you know, the plebs of London rising up. Uh, the mayor got involved. Say a thing, as you can see here. Comes out and says, tragically, we know that the violence in the Middle East can lead to a rise in hate crime in London. Did you remember Azerbaijan and Armenia went to war recently? Do you remember how many hate crimes were caused in London? Do you remember all the fear of Armenians hunting down Azerbaijanis in the streets? No, no one cared. Mm. Weird. It's weird how this one causes a massive spike in hate crime in London. 
but other such conflicts do not. I don't think this would have been a problem 60 years ago. Why? I thought we had deep historic ties. Why all of London and Manchester were rising up in favor of Palestine? I think I think something happened. What in particular? I can't put my finger on though. Still reaching out to the historians. He says here, I'm in touch with senior officers of the Met and communities across our city. Let me be clear. Hate crime in London will not be tolerated. Now or ever. And then turns off replies. <laughs> Don't know why he turned off replies. Um, most people think he's uh, very, very concerned with attacks against Jews. I think he's deeply concerned. Um, the mayor of London there. Do you agree? Sadiq Khan is um, maybe he's so difficult to read. Maybe he's deeply concerned with the gangs of Jews who are hunting down Muslims in London. As I hear there's a massive Jewish population of London. Tens of thousands. No, there's, there's, whatever. Anyway, the Met Police decided to get a message and uh, put out this where they're just like, yeah, there's um, for some reason, we at the London Police have now got a massive task to do because of something that's not anything to do with us. But I suppose it is now. That's You live in London. Good luck with that. The problem with London, you know, you can go back and you can read accounts from hundreds of years ago is that whenever there's a foreign war hundreds and thousands, hundreds and then thousands of miles away, there's the streets of London have always just erupted into chaos. I mean... And nobody's been able to figure out why. Well, For centuries, this problem's been going on. We have we have figured out. I think we figured it out. We found the culprit, in fact, that uh, Metropolitan Police are looking for. You're welcome, boys. We found him. There he is. This is Brian, 67, from Chungle on Thames, who uh, has been has been caught here saying, "We wish to demolish the Al Aska Mosque and build their temple. By Allah, we will stop them." So there we are. We found the person who is being sought after. Typical British nationalist response. Biggest of hate crime committers. So there, there we are. But for some reason, the British Muslim uh, leftists decided they were the most affected by this entire news. I don't know if you saw this. This is the Labour Muslim Network who came out and said, given recent events, the Labour Muslim Network is concerned and vigilant for Muslim delegates. Because um, Brian over there, uh, his twin brother who, who supports Israel, he's, he's going to hunt down the Labour conference and go after leftist Western Muslims. Brian's twin brother, Mohammed. <laughs> Maybe. It's a perfectly common name. Uh, how would I know? Yeah. Anyway, they go on in here. I mean, what, what was it? I think Mohammed was the most common name for newborns in a particular city in Ireland last year. So yeah, it's becoming just a classic British United Kingdom Irish name. You know, it has been, I think, the most common Gaelic. boy's name since 2009 or something for the UK. Yeah, it's horrifying. That's wonderful. What are you, what are you complaining about? Uh, just as British you as I. That's why the counts carry foreign well, I flags. I too have recently been kicked in the head by a donkey <laughs> and can't understand the difference. <laughs> I can tell you why they were on red alert. I think yesterday was UN Day for Lesbians. Indeed, the fight against lesbians continues. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder, like, who is actually attacking lesbians, genuinely? Has there ever been a hate crime against a lesbian? Callum, it's, <laughs> it's other lesbians. <laughs> I don't know, but that is, that is why Sadiq Khan was worried, apparently. <laughs> I do love the idea that you've got Brian over there. He's like, you know what? I can't stand the lesbians. I've watched all their research films. They're the worst people on earth. <laughs> Bloody rope-punching lessers. <laughs> can't stand them, I can't. If you, if you, no, genuinely, like, if you ever met a homophobe, like, a genuine homophobe, hates gay people, can't stand them, wants them to not exist, and then he goes on about lesbians. He never does, does he? No. It's always gay men. It's, it, no one ever I, think, I, I think these people have a secret love of lesbians for some reason. <laughs> what, the whole world? or No, no, the, people, the kind of people you mentioned. Oh, homophobes. Uh, yeah. Well, no, they the, want... the extreme type. 
I think we all watch their films, so I think we're all, oh, God. We're all fans of. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have I have actually uh, read into some of that recently, and yeah, it's um, amazing how when sub- subjected to a foul smell, people's hatred for gay people, and this is across all spectrums of you know rabid homophobe to really, really like straight, but still a, a gay activist. Oh, is this his research project? This, this is research uh, that's been done. Uh, they they immediately dislike gays more, even if it's just a little bit, but no effect with lesbians. It's just like, eh, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, okay. it's very strange. So Sadiq Khan most probably uh, thought that there were many lesbophobes, something. that Indeed. That is why he had red alert. As did the Labour Muslim Network. Uh, and we at the Lotus here to stand with the lesbian community. Um, if you would like to send us some Money? good wishes... Uh, maybe some more research films. We'll be sure. For God's sake, Anyway, but back to the Muslims. So the Muslim decided that they put out this statement. And what I love about this, you've got the Labour Muslim Network here, literally just being like, we're the most affected, which is, you know, funny. But then they go on to list why criticizing them is just racism. Why it should be illegal. Sincerely. Uh, you may remember they actually did pass into law. Which Wait, so re- requiring Muslims to criticize terrorist acts more vociferously than other people or requiring Muslims to apologize for terrorism committed by extremists in the name of Islam or holding Muslims collectively responsible for the acts of Muslim-majority countries, paramilitary groups, or terrorists is just a, is a very bad thing. Just ignore all of the ones who are out in the streets celebrating and marching for Look, the, the terrorist acts. Islamic extremism has nothing to do with Islam or the extremities of Islam. Which is why all of the Islamic members of Western countries go out and celebrate whenever anything like this happens. I look, they're just as British here as I. Which is weird because what's strange is those who moved to Poland, all zero of them, um, don't seem to care. Um, you can see here Stephen pointing out, I'm in Warsaw, and for some reason we don't experience a rise in hate crimes or violence when terrorist attacks uh, happen on is innocent Israelis. Maybe diversity isn't a strength, he writes. But it's weird that this never happens ever. Like I never hear anything from from Poland about. Did you know in Poland there are there are communities killing each other in the streets because of some nonsense half a world away? Maybe I'm ignorant of uh, the Polish oh, life. And I, I was telling to you before that I have a good friend in Warsaw who tells me that he went there and he doesn't have to deal with woke stuff, and he feels it's like a personal renaissance for him. Uh, coincidentally, whilst not having to deal with rising hate crime, is how we're going to put it. That's got to become a dog whistle now. Right. Just, well, oh, you, you know, the ethnic conflict. Where it's just like, yeah, there's been, instead of saying there's been more diversity, there's, a, there's been more rise in hate crime in London. You know, my town. Yeah, in, Lund- be, in London. a new housing estate and a rise in London's hate crime. on red alert right now. Anyway. <laughs> meaning there has been an ethnic f- <laughs> war started in some Middle Eastern country. Something has happened across the world. They have to all put fights. it in a way that doesn't uh, hurt the feelings of the audience. And I'm not kidding either. Like we've been over this before. I remember what was it? They, 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 whenever something happens in Iran, there's a fight in London. Whenever something happens in Egypt, there's a fight in London. Whenever there was a, a the fight in Syria and Iraq, that turned into a fight in London somehow. You should literally pick a country in the Middle East. So they just yeah, of course. And London has erupted London. into chaos. London is burning for some reason. Anyway, but this chap mentions that in Warsaw for some reason uh, it doesn't happen. It's cultural entanglement. So you know, like the particles across the universe that they. Oh yeah. Yeah. That what they, excites and the. Yes. Well, it's true. It's real true. But for some reason, as I mentioned, the entire West is unified. It's not just North of London and South of London. They've all risen up with foreign flags. Um, we can see here Berlin has decided to rise up with foreign flags because they're just as German or... Well, I suppose... I can't really say German as you or I. You got your 23 me results back. Was there any German in there? Uh, 
uh, one, it was ancestry, and two, no. All right. Other than being 9% Sweden and Denmark, I am entirely local to the British Isles. Ah. No Irish in me, just 72 English, uh, 18 Scottish, 1% Welsh, heartbreakingly. But if you get a Palestinian flag, you could be German. Oh. That's how this works now. Oh, yeah. Is this the magic soil again? I think this is the magic soil. I think it's magic, the magic soil. Pot. Only have does the magic soil work if I'm white? Because um, I've never got a clear answer on that. I think you become non-white the moment you buy the flag. I, I don't know. Is it the second that somebody oppresses me? I'm not white. <laughs> is that what it is? I think it's the moment you get privilege, you become non-white. That's that's how it works in the West. But, oh, the second that I get some like legal privilege, meaning that insulting me is illegal. That means I'm non-white. Yes. Oh, okay. God, I love Western racial politics. It makes no sense whatsoever. You can see here, Berlin, for some reason, rising up. Uh, that's that's uh, what happened. Um, Rotterdam, for some reason, uh, liberated by the Canadian army, of course, from Nazi tyranny, has also risen up in solidarity with the rest of Europe to stand with foreigners, because, um, as you can see, just as Dutch as anyone else, including the Dutch, I presume. Moving on, they're not the only ones. Uh, Toronto decided to, to rise up too. The entire West, all of NATO nations have decided that the, the biggest concern as people who live in NATO countries is this. We in the Anglosphere, we just can't help it. Ang typical Anglo <laughs> behavior. You know, the Berlin, uh, you know, the Germans, the, the Dutch, the English, the Canadians. I mean, who can't stop? The French Canadians, in fact. Montreal has risen up as well. It's amazing, isn't it? I just... How could this happen? I, I didn't know that all of NATO had such deep ties to apparently the Communist Party included. It, it, <laughs> it is remarkable that Charlotte Proudman, that we saw earlier, is, is a leftist who's been completely in favor of importing foreign populations into Western countries the whole time. But they can never seem to get it around their heads that, wait, foreign people have foreign conflicts that they bring here? No, I just won't hear a word of it. What do you mean that Leicester erupted into a battle between the Muslims and the Hindus? This doesn't happen, never. What was it over? Pakistan v. India cricket. Yeah, just as British you or I. I don't know. It's, it's what we said before, that they think that for some reason cultural influence get completely lost and overcome when people change borders. And it's the kind of Western conceit that many people have who have fallen for the descriptive version of the liberal democracy is the end of history narrative mm. that I mean, says that anyone will automatically see that this system is is the best and will automatically endorse it, which is dangerously false. It's, it's dangerously na naive. I mean, the West can be, Western peoples can be very naive and very sentimental. We are widely acknowledged as the weirdest, if you understand that term, people in the world because we are uniquely individualistic and uniquely... Um, Deluded. Yeah, deluded in that we don't have any real sense or the majority don't have any real sense of ethnocentricity where the rest of the world is very ethnocentric and it doesn't matter if they go to other countries and if they become part of those countries, they will still hold strong ties to their home countries. I, I think there is a way, there is a, another way to explain it in that post-Cold War, uh, a lot of people in the West, they thought that basically there is zero ethnic conflict any longer. Um, the, no, just like the, in the Balkans. The, the values that existed would spontaneously be adopted by everyone throughout the world and that nations were, for instance, an obsolete category. This hasn't happened. The, and the sooner people realize this, uh, the better. 
But one thing I love about this whole thing, I mean, I think I tried to counter. I think this is actually the 20th Israel-Gaza conflict. That's, and it's been going on since 1948. It's, it's a, nice and unique. Uh, but the thing is, like, for never, obviously, in all of that time, had the entire West been unified. And this, you know, eruption of, of, of Western unity, as we can see it. I mean, I love how you've got French Canada here and Anglo-Canada. I mean, the beauty... Fine, finally, they're unified. <laughs> the beauty of globalization really is the ability to turn the entire world into the same bloody place. In, into a third world slum. I mean, it really is just, uh, what, what do we all do now? What is, what is the West, really? Well, it's just what, whatever we import. And well, I, could you think of the absolute like decades and decades of violence and, and, and fights over conscription and language rights and, and cultural differences and the ability to have your kids speak French in school has all come down to, what was the point, literally? What, what was the bloody point? We're literally the same place. We, we, are, just, we are just part of the world now. And why, why at the beginning of the Soviet Union was Ukraine so worried about you know, Stalin coming in, dekulakization, when they could have just imported in thousands of Palestinian people and that all conflicts would have gone away? Imagine if, if we just imported everyone else and then all the problems would shrink. I mean, I suppose they would, but now we have uh, new problems, which is um, uh, who's cyber on in the new Middle Eastern conflict, I guess. They're not the only ones either, as you can see. Like Canada being, I mean, I'm sorry, but this really does just irk me in a way that's unnatural. Because you, you could sit there and play Hoi 4 or read about Canadian history and the conflicts between the Anglos and the, the Francos and, and, and all the detailed fights. And, and, and it all means nothing. For this. All a waste of time. All of that history could just be thrown in the bloody trash at this point. Yeah, but because London is exactly the same place. And including, not only them, New York we have here. I mean, less so because of uh, just pure numbers, but that's a thing. And then we have, uh, I think it was Washington as well, but I, I didn't include it. That's, that's my fault. But all the way to Sydney. All the way to Sydney. Yep. Australia, New Zealand, Germany. I don't know. Netherlands. How, it's all the same place. I don't know how accurate it was, but there seemed to be footage of these kinds of protesters burning things outside of the Sydney Opera House as well. So that's good. Stelia, sir, you were about to say something. No, I mean, I have lots of things to say, but now was not the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I just, I, it really is, as, as you're saying, like, I, those guys burning stuff outside the Sydney Opera House, they say they did. They might as well be in London. They might as well be in Berlin. They might as well be in Montreal or Toronto. It's exactly the same bloody place at this point. And what, what frustrates me is that recently I've seen an increase in rhetoric from people like Andrew Tate and other people who are Muslims or recently converted Islamists in the West who are all saying what we need if we want to return to a sense of conservatism, to more old-fashioned and traditionalist values is for all of the West to import these people and so that they'll be able to... I think, what's his name? Uh, Rakib Eisen, the Muslim guy who said that what we need to do is put Muslims and Afghanistans into the front living rooms of white liberals, um, which, you know, great meme, but that's still a pretty horrible thing to have to do to somebody. Uh, he said that, oh, we're going to return to British values by importing these people because these people are more conservative than the degenerate native populations are these days. No, they are not. They are conservative in their own way. They are conservative in a way that is particular to their nations. But when they come over here, they do not conform to British conservatism. They do not suddenly become old-fashioned oh, patriots. Why would they care? This isn't my land. Yeah. <laughs> like, regardless of how conservative I am, if you see it, we've spoken about it before, the Turks vote left in Germany but vote right in Turkey. Yeah, this is something um, distributors spoke about on a recent debate that he had, and it's very frustrating because the 
the import my based brown people doesn't work out because they will inevitably, when they get here, they will just vote for whichever party is saying, we will give you free things. Well, in this case, they'll, they'll vote for whichever party is uh, supporting Palestine. I, I love how literally I can go through this and you can't tell which country is which. It <laughs> just could, could be anywhere. Who knows? Anyway, they're getting back to London because, of course, you know, someone here was very upset. We see Rachel Riley looking at this and she's very upset. She's like, how could this happen in London? I mean, questions on a post-it note as to how this might have happened in London and not Warsaw. It's, uh, there's some people here waving Palestinian flags and chanting about, you know, they're, they're very happy with what's happened. And uh, that's not the only thing, of course. I wanted to go back just to another aspect of all this, which is you may remember two years ago, because as I mentioned, this happens every bloody year at this point. You can see here, this was more Palestinians who were doing their thing, and they decided to shout out, uh, rape the Jews, or rape their daughters. Sorry, fuck the Jews, rape their daughters. And uh, they decided to chant that in a public place over megaphones so everyone could film it, hear it, and uh, presumably live in fear of it. And you know what? You remember everyone said they were going to get done? The, the politicians all retweeted it, said they were going to send these guys to prison. Nothing. These guys get off scot-free. Yep. If you tweet a meme, you get out of prison. Yeah, but who is you? Very good question. That's the question. Yeah, who, who uh, like, what, what severity of law will be thrown against you depends entirely on whether you pass the color swab test or not. And I love here, there's just the last data point, which is they, they mentioned, in fact, because I didn't know this at the time, the chaps who came down to, to shout all that, um, from Bradford, the drove from Bradford. Bradford, just a, another beautiful British town. Drove 200 miles. They, uh, they just had to let everyone know. Anyway, just to end this off as well, you can also see here, this is a Greek asylum seeker detention facility. And uh, again, just, just as, as average British or German or Canadian people do, they decide to come out and shout a lot of as uh, what was going on in Palestine, which is um, totally normal. And I just, I just, I'm sick of it. I am so sick of the entire world being the same place. And this event, I just symbolized really well for me how much of this has happened. Just the fact that I, you could pick any of these stupid bits of footage but, of people waving foreign flags, but and I you couldn't tell where they're from. I saw a meme, though, that said that multiculturalism brings diversity and beauty and homogenous nations, everything is the same and gray and boring and you don't get spicy food. Well, here is a homogenous nation, oh. which is... Well, certainly not boring, but that's something I'm uh, super stoked about trying to live in. Yep. Because it's, you know, not my motherland. When you talk about multiculturalism, the question that is never asked is what kind of cultures can be compatible? Um, and this is a very, very, very concrete question. The question is what kind of behaviors are compatible with what other kinds of behaviors and what institutions? This is a question that very few people ask. I suppose we'll end it there. All right, and that's a, a perfect segue onto my segment where we're going to be talking about how the left just don't know things. And on the subject of multiculturalism, I don't know if we've already looked at this particular clip on the podcast already last week. We have not. I'm excited. Oh, that's excellent, because uh, this was inspired by this clip that came from the Conservative Party conference where Owen Jones went around and did his usual thing where he just goes around and he pesters people at the Tory conference and asks them very loaded and bad faith questions to try and get them to slip up or be able to be edited in a way that makes them look like they're evil when most of the time, like this gentleman here, they're just hungover. Uh, did you see the trolling from Turning Point UK uh, I didn't to see Owen Jones? I didn't That's see what you trolling. should see. I know that because of the fact that this tweet that we've got here uses the term Aryan, 
Owen Jones lost his mind over it and said that you are a Nazi, you are an evil Third Reich supporter. I can't believe that you would say this. He's not even Aryan. The only people who would ever use the term Aryan are those who want to genocide the Jews. You know, that sort of rhetoric. But let's look at this clip because it really shows that when push comes to shove, the left, while they know that they have beliefs that they are very convinced of and have conviction to support, could never really explain to you why it is that they believe them. And Owen Jones is actually a pretty good example of a relatively well-informed leftist because he well, this- does actually know things, but most don't. But even then, even somebody like Owen Jones, when pushed, can't explain to you the reasons. Like He is a guy who has dedicated his life to being a political activist, debates with people, conversations with people to learn what he thinks. So he should be the most clued up leftist in British politics we could find. Because he's not a politician. He doesn't have to waste time on that. He literally has this and that's it. I suppose... Uh, Let's, let's, let's see what the evidence, let's see what all of that time dedicated to this has led to. What do you think, Enoch Powell? <laughs> Enoch Powell's obviously a very divisive figure. Yeah. What do you think of him, though? Personally, what I think of him is a lot of stuff he was saying, although very divisive at the time, has come to pass. Some cities are no longer diverse. They are no longer diverse in the sense that there isn't a mix of cultures, where it's now be completely replaced by one culture yeah. over another. Like, like where? A lot of boroughs of London, where the white working classes have been moved out, in exchange for a lot of people from What other, do you mean they've been moved out? Well, a lot of the council states in central London now, in some of those boroughs, have been completely demographically changed to a completely alien culture to what it would have been 50 years ago. But what do you mean an alien culture? I mean, in East End, London, it used to be very Jewish, and now yes. it's more Muslim, but that's yeah. always been the case. So, I mean, that's... so that's a very alien what? culture to what it was then, isn't it? But I mean, they're <laughs> British Muslims. Yes, but it's an alien culture. What do you it's mean? It's a different a- culture. Alien culture means it... Alien it's... as in unfamiliar. Yeah, but it's not alien to being British. British is being British means you could be Muslim or Jewish or Hindu. I'm not saying it's to being British. I'm saying it's to the culture of the area, to the beliefs and belief structures of the area, to the institutions that once were there being replaced by new institutions now and new beliefs and new ideologies and new cultures and new religions. Well, they're different religions. Completely changing it. But yeah, I mean. But a religion is an entire cultural and ideological outlook on the world. There's still white working class people who live there who go to school with people from different backgrounds and they mix with people from different backgrounds. They're not monocultures. You still have white working class people in Tower Hamlets. I'm talking about whether or not the native people in those areas feel that they are now in their homeland or if their homeland confronts them as something other something which distracts them from what they believe themselves to be. Well, I I think millions of people are actually happy with being diverse. I mean, London has huge numbers of mixed relationships where people from different cultures quite literally set set families up together. I mean, that's a good thing, surely. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's neither here nor there. Diversity is not inherently good. It's not inherently bad. That's not my point. Well, I think it's inherently good. But uh, Why why do you think that? Because I think you get an interesting exchange of cultures and worldviews, and that makes for a more interesting and dynamic society. But why does a mix of cultures and worldviews provide something good, necessarily? Because we learn from each other. Yes, but (laughs) let's say there's there's some archetypal, brilliant worldview, the best possible worldview, Right. right? Would you then say, oh, let's make it more diverse and mix it with other worldviews? No. So, yeah, that was a pretty well-circulated clip over the past week or so. And it just goes to show that every question that Owen Jones was asking past his initial uh, uh, beginning of this this, uh, debate that it turned into was completely ad hoc, made up on the spot, not to actually exchange ideas properly, but just so that he could play the hatchling. So much of that was him playing the hatchling. What do you mean by alien culture? Unfamiliar culture. Alien to the place where it has ended up in. Do you speak English, Owen? Every question was ad hoc. Every question was made up 
purely so that he could try and come out of the the debate looking better rhetorically rather than have an honest exchange of ideas. It's completely bad faith. And then when confronted... like On that front, that's his one shtick. I'm going to try and screw someone over. Failed completely. Yes. And then (laughs) he gets it turned back around on him with what I see is a pretty good faith response from this guy to go, okay, you're just coming off the presumption that the things that you are supporting are good. Why do you think that? Not what do you think? What evidence do you have for it? Why do you as an individual believe the things that you... Who gave you these ideas? What reasoned you into this position? And all he can do is fall back on tired leftist talking points that, well, if we have more people, we get more good. And if we have less people from less places, we have less good. That's what this all comes down to. It is a toddler's understanding of how different cultures interact with one another. It shows a lot because you see, for instance, when you genuinely care about a position, and you generally want to think about it, you think of possible objections and how you, have, you can answer to them. Uh, apparently, Owen Jones hasn't ever anticipated objections that people could raise. He was probably expecting, because he was only going in with the Enoch Powell question, yeah. and the left has been able to somehow demonize Enoch Powell as this rabid, frothing at the mouth racist, which he absolutely was not. Enoch Powell was a very intelligent, very well-reasoned man who clearly, if you go back... Very understated the change. Yes, and if you go back and watch interviews and debates that he partook in, was very clearly had put a lot of deep thought into why he believed the things that he did and why he thought the things that he did. And they have tried to turn him into this rabid Hitler-esque figure where he was just a guy who hated people from different cultures. And he asked that question so that he could try and get this guy... From the very beginning was the first question. Yeah, he was trying to get this guy into a corner where he could just go, you're a racist. Yeah. Whereas he actually came back with a very well-reasoned position. Can we just note on the whole not knowing things front, not knowing literally anything about history or demographics? Yep. I mean, the, the, the phraseology that's perfect for that is when he says, well, the East End of London was Jewish and then is now Muslim... What's but it, wrong with that? But it, no, but it's always been that way. All right, how could it... All right, number one, okay. East London has never been Jewish. Like, it's had some Jewish population, never been Jewish. That's not Israel. Like, what are you talking about? But, okay, I'll grant you. And then it became Muslim, but it's always been that way. It can't change and always have been that way. That doesn't make any sense. Unless he's just saying, well, it always changes. And it's like, well, that's not true either. And, and remember that comparatively, if we're going relatively... Owen Jones is a high-caliber leftist. He's the guy whose job has been to know these things. To not look insane on camera. Yeah, That's the best point. His editing team got this footage, edited it for him. This is meant to make him look good, uploaded it to his YouTube channel. This is the best they have. Yep, This is all they could do. So I thought to myself, well, what other examples do we get of leftists interacting with the discourse on Twitter that shows how they conceptualize the world? I'm not even going to really go into why they think the things that they do, because reasonably, if you asked them, it would come down to some kind of, as we're about to find out here, um, some kind of Saturday morning cartoon show conception of how people interact with one another. This is a meme that goes around every so often. It's nothing new, but it got shared out the other day, October 5th, again, where it's Ed or Eddie, or one of the Eds from Ed, Ed, and Eddie, facts, 
there has never been a historical incident in which conservatives were the good guys. Now, this is Marvel brain thinking. Nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. This is the kind of logic and the kind of understanding of the world that you get if you only perceive reality through the lens of fiction, through the lens of Hollywood films and oftentimes Marvel films. And if you only get your understanding of a historical event through TikTok and Instagram, propaganda that has been pushed to you by an algorithm, and then filter that even further through the leftist, the good guy, bad guy paradigm that these people think in. Because you can go back and you can look at examples of, okay, who were the good guys and the bad guys in the French Revolution? Who were the conservatives? Who were the progressives? Were what the progressives in the French Revolution doing? You know, that whole continuously murdering. Kill everyone. Yeah, murdering each other well, and, if we don't and kill themselves. It. I mean, I'm sorry, you know that stupid meme that's like, we want to kill people, how about we don't? This is the real world. But the French Revolution, it really was that. Yeah. What about the Spanish Civil War? Like, perhaps, I mean, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the leftists that won that. You could argue that it was the conservatives, but they wouldn't even go that way anyway because their conception of who the good guys are is always just, who were the communists? I, I, I think that... the yeah, that, that, this, that's what, this is what I was saying earlier, that the left has always been, people mis uh, misunderstand how the anti-war movement in the 60s went because they think that the left used to have principles and they've abandoned them now. No, the left only had principles when the anti-war principle was that the America was fighting wars against communists. The only wars they've ever not supported were communists' wars. When the USSR was being imperialistic when the Iron Curtain descended over Eastern Europe, they were fully in support of such things. You have some nowadays who argue against tankies, but that's only because the USSR lost in the end. They look at World War II in this incredibly simplistic way and ignore the fact that they, they, they see the Second World War as this big point where, yes, there was good guys and bad guys, and the good guys won and the bad guys lost. Ignore that the USSR- Except the conservative party. Yes, <laughs> except it was I have the Conservative to... Party. And then they think to themselves, because the USSR was against the Nazis, that means the USSR was good. Ignore the fact that we went to war to save Poland from occupation and then immediately gave it to USSR after the war was done. It's a very simplistic, there is no nuance. I, I won't say that this is a dangerous uh, thing because it just tell, communicates the message, trust me, bro, trust me, lass, we're the good guys. They're the bad ones. And I think that this basically kills thinking. This completely destroys thinking and opens the way to a, you could say, toxic sentimentality that manipulators are really good at twisting. So a lot of what goes on in current progressivist circles is the manipulation of the emotion of their audience. And they try to manipulate the, everyone, basically. Some people fall for, for it, some people do not. But I think that it is incredibly pernicious and it prevents people who support them from looking at the fundamental inconsistencies of their accounts. So for instance, this idea that difference is good or difference is bad. What kind of difference? What do you think is good together? What do you think is good apart? They, they never ask these questions. So, for instance, when they talk about diversity in the abstract, what kind of diversity are you talking about? They never pose these questions. But the important thing is that they are trying to prevent people from looking at the fundamental inconsistencies 
of some of the, uh, I would say, some of the people that they are trying to claim to protect. Because, for instance, let's say that those who are in favor of women's rights, they have a very different understanding of what constitutes peaceful coexistence than members of some other groups. How do you reconcile that contradiction? You can't reconcile that contradiction. The leftists don't want people to see that. The only way to prevent people from looking at is by telling, uh, telling you know, we're the good guys, trust us, search no further, focus on the bad guy who is the opponent. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the only way to bring together uh, groups with fundamentally different views of what constitutes peaceful coexistence is to invent a common enemy. And that is what we see to, in every Western country. The common enemy is the native population, as far as the leftists are concerned. Yes, and there's also just the other anachronism of just applying all historical conflict into a conservative versus progressive paradigm, the modern paradigm. That's completely anachronistic because really, if you think of any conflict prior to the French Revolution, when the modern conception of left versus right within politics was established through the, uh, through the French parliament, um, well, how, how do you really put any sort of, how do you put any conflict into the paradigm that they're trying to force it into? They've got a square peg and they're trying to shove it into a round hole. Well, how do you put communist v. communist incidents into that conflict? Like, how do you take Mao versus Khrushchev in the border conflicts? Who's the conservative here? And how do you take Mao the leftist versus Mao the rightist later on in his <laughs> career? How do you take all of the different factions within the Chinese Clearly, revolution? The communist conservatives were the bad guys. Obviously. It's me five minutes ago. Yes, even, the, even when Mao was the communist conservative, because he was trying to conserve the true spirit of communism, which was not communism, but was in fact free markets until... All of a sudden, he was a progressive. <laughs> the true spirit of communism was free markets. Says <laughs> Jab and Mao. <laughs> uh, and uh, the funny thing was, I just saw somebody post this, which I think was probably the most accurate and uh, the, the most effective way of trying to combat these sorts of people, which is just to go name ten historical incidents. Go on, do it. Go on, tell me ten things that name happened 10 books. in history before the 1990s. Name Go five on. books. Name, name five <laughs> books. And it's similar. That's to, not the name of a book. It's similar <laughs> Sorry, that's just such a good name. <laughs> it's similar to when you see them always going on about, ah, the most banned books in public libraries and schools. These books that you can easily find in any local bookshop, anywhere that will not just be on sale, but will be front and center being promoted to you on the shelves. Do you want to take a guess who was banning Huckleberry Finn? Uh, was it was it progressives? Yes. Yeah, of course it was. Was not rightists. Yeah. So it doesn't even make sense. And, and Alaric the Barbarian just points out, yeah, these, these books you can get everywhere for $10 and a major part of public school curriculums are subversive, dangerous, and suppressed. They may be exactly what the establishment wants you to be reading, but trust me, bro, I'm oppressed. That's always the argument at the end of the day is, I don't know what I'm talking about, but ergo, I'm oppressed somehow. I'm being negatively oh. affected by yeah, the powers of the comic. Like the professor stood there just being like, anyway, I can't believe the schools are pressing us by not letting us we read gay porn. Anyway, the mandatory reading for this Any, uh, <laughs> anyway, semester will be this to, gay porn. <laughs> open to page 69. <laughs> and that's, that's funny because the, the progressives, because of the way that they think, because of the way that they systematize, 
always gets into essentially uh, this is why we need more government assistance. This is why we need more government bureaucracy so that we can assist people in ways that mean that they will be able to better live their life and better express their human rights, which inevitably leads to an overwhelming hellscape of bureaucracy in which no one can escape. And the only escape that you can have is basically to go insane, as Josh and I explored when we talked about Terry Gilliam's 1985 film Brazil, which is a premium video on the website and a really enjoyable discussion. So I think you should get give that a watch if you've got a subscription, because I think it'll be a good time. And it's a, a very entertaining film. Bleak as it is, it's kind of the Monty Python satire is the Monty Python dystopian fiction because Terry Gilliam, of course, was a member of the, uh, of the Pythons. Anyway, carrying on. I, after, after I looked at all of this, though, I thought to myself, where are they getting these ideas from? Where are they getting this impression of the world which is so blatantly false? And then I just remembered, as I said a second ago, it's, well, it's Instagram and TikTok because sometimes I make a mistake. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. I make, I make a mistake often, which is by going onto my Instagram tapping on my phone the little stories that you can look at where people that I know and am friends with or have been friends with will spew whatever fetid feces they have found on their timeline because there are minuscule propaganda clips, there are videos, there are little infographics that get created by political actors on the left which are really, really useful for disseminating retarded ideas. For instance, you get things like this. So this is one I actually saw earlier today that a person that I know shared on their Instagram story, which is, for those not, li- not watching and only listening, it's Rishi Sunak with little devil horns drawn on him with a little speech bubble that says, I'm spewing transphobic hate speech to divert attention from my government's endless F-ups. Care to comment, Callum? You look as though um, you might have just suffered an aneurysm. Secondary school BS, I just... It really is, because once again, if you were to ask a follow-up question, this is the leftist's true enemy, is the follow-up question. <laughs> is, the eternal fear. <laughs> yeah. no, please don't ask me to explain myself. No, which is, okay, which F-ups that you haven't been also told about by an Instagram story, which laws are they promoting? What, which transphobia? Which transphobia? other than rhetoric that they use at Tory conferences to get red meat thrown out there for the voter base to vote for them coming up to the next election, what have they actually done? Because last I checked, the rise of gender ideology in the West has come over the past, or at least in Britain, it's come over the past 13 years of Tory rule. And they it really have- is like doom or something, isn't it? You know, the, the piss takes and doom of the leftists where they're like, you know, call them morally challenged. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. It's like, hey, he's a devil. Why? I ignore just reality. He said that men yeah. are men and women are women. This is evil. I don't, are YouTube, am I allowed to say that on YouTube? Yeah, you can say that. Oh, okay. I can say that on YouTube. This is apparently transphobic. Ignore that everything else the Tories have done has basically been support the leftist agenda, the cultural revolution in England as it's been going on. Look at this terrible infographic instead. Speaking of terrible infographics, I see constantly from this gentleman, Matt Bernstein, his name is, he creates these little infographics where they say horrible things like Libs of TikTok is literally a domestic terrorist. And these all follow the same pattern. They all come in the same color, uh, color scheme. And I see them constantly shared on other people's Instagram stories because this is how they get their information. This is literally how they form their understanding of the world. You have this big 
emotive, bold statement to start off with. Chaya Rachik, Libs of TikTok, is a domestic terrorist with a load of out-of-context headlines or biased headlines. Block of text. Block I of, knew it would make its appearance. Yeah, got the blocko text in there. Either that or they just completely lie or lie through omission. And then it ends with the usual leftist affirmations. Oh, yeah, there's some out-of-context clips of her talking with Tucker Carlson trying to make her look stupid because she paused for a moment to think about what she was saying and consider her words. And then you end, oh, look, she might have been at January 6th. Clearly not her. I mean, it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Clearly not. I mean, it might. <laughs> She's got the wrong hair. Got the wrong face. Well, it just look, it, her nose is wrong. Well, her eyes are wrong. This image looks like it might be her. Therefore, she was at Jan 6. And therefore, <laughs> the only people who were at Jan 6 were those who were intending to kidnap and murder politicians. Yep, she's clearly the Jerry Adams of the American right. And the leftists would never kidnap or murder anybody, especially not politicians, ignore all of the domestic bombings that happened in the 1970s in the US, especially around Washington. Or in 2020. Or in 2020. Ignore all of the cities that blew up. Uh, in 2020, we yes. Firebomb anyone except all those people. So you just get this these big blocko texts which have these out-of-context uh, headlines, out-of-context information, no sources for any of it. You don't get any information on how you can follow up and fact-check anything or get any side of the story. It is just, here is what you should think. I and th then I affirm racism, white supremacy, bloody, bloody, blah. Terrorist is illegal is legal in the United States if you are white. Ignore George Floyd. Ignore the George Floyd riots. What were you about to say, Stella? No, Sorry. that this shows the careless use of language on the one side and how a lot of people are fine with that. But when they want to disagree with something, they say that they are using language like that to describe any dis descending voice. Well, the thing is, I disagree. No one, yeah, I mean... Has uh, anyone told this uh, person that maybe they're using the word terrorist in a very relaxed way? In a rather loose way? Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps they have. But, but this is, sorry, this is spoiled brats who are using this language, this language because their parents most probably didn't do a good job and tell them to, you know, you need to care about what you're saying. You can't name anything you disagree with terrorism. The, the whole world does not revolve around your emotions. Of course, that's how they use this emotive rhetoric. But that's what makes it such effective propaganda because the people who absorb this, the people who get their worldview from it, people who share that on their own Instagram stories, they're not thinking about it anymore other than I see the emotive language, I see the bold statements, and it gives me an icky feeling in my tum-tum. So therefore, this is what I think now. So once again, if you were to actually follow up and any sort of examples or any follow-up questions on anything like this, all of a sudden the facade of certainty crumbles because they don't know why they think the things that they do. And similarly, I, I saw this, and here is, I'm sorry I'm going to have to play this for you guys. Please, in advance, I'm just going to play a little bit of this because this is, again, where they get their history from. Haitians in the world, mostly because after a successful slave revolt, Haitians had to pay reparations to their former slaveholders, France. Yeah. Nico, Nico, ni. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. I think that's enough of that. So literally, 
a woman in bunny ears saying saying things to you like successful slave robot is killing all the white people. That's... Yeah, successful slave robot. Ignore all of the details of Haiti that it's left out there. Ignore that Haiti is a corrupt hellhole where all of the billions of dollars of aid that we've sent to them have more than paid back for all of the money that they had to pay back in reparations, and it's just gone into the pockets of corrupt politicians that they've got there. Ignore that it's run by gangs. No, this woman talking to me like I'm a wickle, wickle baby toddler, three-year-old again, has told me that they're only poor because they had uh, to pay reparations to the slaveholders, probably because of the fact that, you know, they murdered all of those innocent people. Historical YouTube, male-dominated platform, you've got History Matters and blah, 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 you know, Mark Felton and so forth. Historical Instagram, female-dominated. Yep. Nico Nee. Wait, all right. It, all righty then. It goes to show you how stupid young men will believe literally anything if, it, if they're not thinking with their brain. Because I think most people watching these videos aren't exactly purely watching them for... Um, for the historical context, because I saw once again the same people. Oh, we need more views. <laughs> get the ears. <laughs> get the funny ears out. <laughs> I saw the same people who share this out. I saw this being shared on someone's Instagram story today. I also saw this being shared again. I'm going to have to apologize for this. Life of a Tory. I make the wrong calls. VAR referee. I'm Bonnet Zero. Your kid's future. I rub it like the Nero because that's just me. I don't care if you're an oppressed minority I make a load of L's and blame it on GBTs Ruining transport like Bebox in Paris when they blame a T Yeah, yeah I, I know, <laughs> I know But th th this, this- The ATIQs have got to go, man I, I know, man, it's just a load of incoherent rambling of here's why the Tories are bad Once again, if you ask them what policies have they put forward that proves the things that you say What effects what, have they had? Yeah, what, what effects have they had? What they about would cite this yeah, yeah, they would they would cite this. This is this is where they get the worldview from, and it's interesting because this is like what I would call George Carlin syndrome, which is they see cool black guy. I want to agree with the cool black guy because the only kind of social capital I I stand by, the only standard I hold myself is: do cool black guys agree with me? That's the only. <laughs> what about this is cool? Well, well I don't, you had I don't before, know, but somebody you had shared before the bunnies. Somebody shared it. What you had before the bunny? I had before the bunny, and now I've got this guy. Which do you think is more effective propaganda? Honestly, I don't, I want, how many... I don't want to answer this question. No comment. Normies, normies have got to go. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm not happy. How's restricting the franchise looking now, boys? God, no, um, it was ever expanded. Yeah, and that's, that's just Instagram, but where, where else a lot of these people are going to be getting is TikTok, where we've got you know, all of these articles, I couldn't be bothered to go to try and trawl through TikTok. I was just going off of things that I saw on my normal Instagram. Why? It's one of the most uh, spicy think tanks. <laughs> I I'm sure they have research it's, grants it's, there. It is where all the Tories get their policy prescriptions, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, back in 2019, leftists are using TikTok to break down socialism for the next generation of voters. Leftist teens are flocking to TikTok to stand daddy Karl Marx. TikToks. Black leftist hype house shares the history of black radicalism. Because sadly, for your average voter these days, what it is, is that if you can't absorb your information in an easily dismissed five to ten second soundbite, you're not getting it all. And that's where these people, that's where leftists are getting their information from. That's where they're getting their, their worldview from, because they don't know things.
Oh no, <laughs> I had to. I had to see it. For my Go own on, eyes. click on one. Go on. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't really want. Oh my god! I got Meghan Markle, a, a proud African woman. Yeah, let, <laughs> let, let's see what <laughs> Meghan Markle has to say. Uh, Go on. Go on. Play. Is that the other? Is it not playing? Concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> who, who is having that conversation? You know it's bad when they're worried about how dark a baby's skin's gonna be when the baby's only 25% black. The baby's dad is a white ginger and the baby's mom is a light-skinned black woman who's 50%. She's a light-skinned black woman, okay. What in universe? Or even look like a light-skinned black person. Overall, they're concerned about the wrong things. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are cousins and they're married to each other. Okay. You should be worried about that. And they both look like they're about to pass away. Classic black history. Well, he looks like he's already been. The royal family. Yep, yep. <laughs> Nobody has ever known that royal families marry second and third and fourth cousins. I mean, how many distant cousins away were they from one another? I mean, the... what does it matter? The royals literally yeah, marry each other. This is where you get your information from. I think that's all we need to say on that is that, that people, people get their understanding of the world through that. Let's go to the video comments. I was, uh, just before we go through the video comments, I did find something. I didn't mention yeah, yeah. it in the segment Let's about Verifacus. Yeah. So Verifacus has given a statement about the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict. Yeah, he, he, he. I don't know if you've seen it. I mean, I guess who he blames? I've seen several. He blames Israel. No, no, no. He's gone further than that now. Oh no! <laughs> he says that the real quote: um, "The criminals here are not Hamas. The real criminals are Europeans." The Europeans. Oh, are I saw that as well. What? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is is he just come out against the Balfour Declaration? Is that all this oh, is? We're, we're no, he says for remaining silent. So we didn't do enough. I don't know. We should have. Anyway, just I mean, I, I can't take him seriously. Uh, yeah. But uh, the point is, he says the quiet part out loud, and it's uh, important to show, especially when there are some uh, figures that are revered. It's it's good to criticize them. Let's go to the video so, comments. Yeah. It's good to see that uh, Carl got around to reading Camp of Saints, which um, brings me um, back to an old conversation the guys having, where they were talking about you know good conservative movie ideas that could actually be profitable and accessible to a wide audience. And I think a proper adaption of Camp of Saints that isn't really optimistic like the old one was. And I think that would just print money. The problem is, is that there would be a massive meltdown and all the directors and producers would probably get arrested. I think I'm trying to think of a single movie studio that would actually green light that production. The Urban Scoop. <laughs> Tommy Robinson's outfit. <laughs> no, maybe I was thinking maybe Daily Wire, but that'd be probably way too spicy for them. Yeah. Go the next one. I can't hear anything. Just me. Can you see the thing that doesn't fit in? All right. This is out in country Victoria at a mate's place. It's pretty nice. It's a lovely view. All those things over there. Ah, uh, wind farms. All right. It's yeah. kind of spoil of view. The next one. I was just wondering if you guys had reached out to Russell Brand yet to come on and do an interview. I seem to remember that way back in the day when Lotus Eaters was first started, there was some talk about having people like Brand on. And uh, I personally would quite like to see people like Jimmy Dore on the Lotus Eaters. I think if you reached out to him, I think it would happen eventually. I know they're not ideologically in line with the Lotus Eaters, but 
They do share their anti-globalist sentiment, and I think it'd be interesting. Sure. I don't think we've ever really cared about having people who ideologically align with us. It's just booking people is uh, yeah annoying. Like Tim Paul's problem, like you try and book leftists, and they're all like, "Yes, but these are my conditions." So I don't, I don't care. Like they ask you to come on their show, and you just go, "Yeah, sure, why not?" I mean, Jimmy Dore appeared on Tucker Carlson, so yeah. So the next one. Well. This spring, I had to drop down to bronze tier because work slowed down and things were a little bit stressful for a while. We have the bug. It's but not also in the spring, I got myself my Canadian firearms license problems. and I bought myself this M1 Grand. And so in this video, I tore it down and cleaned out all of the uh, components that make it run. And it was a really fun process watching all the tutorials and cleaning it and stuff. And so I thought I'd show you guys. John, what did he right. say? Well, I'm, I'm sure it was fascinating, but he's building a gun. All right. Uh, fair play. Well, we understand that gold tier isn't going to be the most um, accessible for everybody. So if you're having to move down to bronze tier, that's that's perfectly fair. Thank you for still supporting us, though. Enjoyed the gun. Hello, Lotus Eaters. No, it is not the end times, but I think Brett Weinstein summed it up the best when he said there's going to be a global bloodletting soon. Now, it's been this way for a while. It's only been a matter of who's going to be doing the fighting. Doesn't make the situation any better that the Western world for the past few decades has been ruled by a bunch of useless charlatans. Really, all I can say is God be with us all. All right, well, the end is nigh. God be with us. Let's go to the written comments on the side. We have God on our side, boys. Okay, so Derek Power. So here's a revealing question. If Europeans are these imperialists and it began from the government, shouldn't those who work in government be punished for its sin instead of the normal citizenry? Oh, that's a lovely question. question. Kevin Fox, so I have just been watching Varouf Witt giving an interview to Red Media. Apparently, he says the slaughter in Israel at the weekend was not the fault of Hamas, it was the fault of Europeans and Americans and his group. Uh, DM25 will not condemn Hamas's actions. What is interesting also is to see how in one uh, weekend the accusation of being an anti-Semite when it came from the left to people who are not on the left became your pro-Israel. Just one thing to note. Uh, Simon Oginski. Uh, Stellar's made a great point. Many progressives hold no genuine beliefs. They'll manipulate, lie, and use any sophistry to get an imaginary win in a discussion. Hardly ever do they argue in good faith. Sophie Liv, he's also proposing the free movement has just always been a thing. And no, that's an extremely new concept. And it has been a disaster where the true consequences are first starting to show now. But the logic behind it is always funny to me as well, which is that there's always been conquests going on, which is the exact same as free movement. SH Silver, it's interesting. Varoufakis describes it as a false consciousness, as if people's own minds could not be made to be against the constant flow of strangers onto their communities. This is precisely what Marxists have always done whenever the, the people, anyone disagrees with them, it's false consciousness. When they agree with them, it's enlightenment. Do you want to go to... Sure, we're running over time, so I'm just going to read one, which is the French $6 billion to Iran says... The U.S. and the West are now on high alert due to the amount of unvetted migrants coming in recent years. In other news, Maloney asked Germany to stop funding NGOs that bring migrants from Tunisia to Italy and was told to F off and that they were going to continue until 2026. I wonder if Hamas will attack. Uh, I wonder if the Hamas attack will change their attitude. Uh, no, there's only one. 
I'll, I'll read one from my segment. Severian Knox says, you are right, Harry. It is inhumane to force Muslims to live with rest- leftist retards. I think it's inhumane to anyone to do such a thing. No, you're quite right. So that's... Uh... I can't imagine. Would you rather die, actually, or live with Gary Lineker 24-7 for three months? For three months? Three months. I'll, do I get any money, or is it just that I die if I don't? You just die if you don't. I mean, how long do we have to run that? Because three months, I could probably stomach it. I might, I might go insane. Six months, two years. I mean, five years, and that's, that's me. I'm looking at the rope. Are, are, you, are you suggesting that we're going to set up some kind of Sam Hyde game <laughs> show? Content creator house. Where we, it's just a bunch of retarded well, leftists. Where we for, one right winger. Where we force <laughs> like myself or Stelios to live with Gary Lineker for three months. <laughs> Oh, it'd be good content. That's I don't want to see any more fucking walkers, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're out of time. More from us. Go there. Uh, if you want to see uh, Content Creator House 2, um, stick around. Bye. Bye.